Hey, Fixing Fundraising fans, it's Tom here. Thank you so much for listening to season two. I am sad, but also happy and also excited to announce this is the season finale of season two. We got to 11 episodes, 11 awesome episodes and 11 plus 13 incredible guests. There we go. Worked out in the end. In this week's episode and in season two's finale, we were joined by Wayne Murray. Wayne also featured on last year's end of season episode briefly, and he's worked in fundraising and communications and brand for over 20 years. He's pretty sure that's before Andy was born, which I can neither confirm nor deny. He's had roles in the charity uh, sector as head of individual giving at Amnesty, director of fundraising at Prisoners Abroad, Abroad, and head of fundraising and brand at Refugee Action. Wayne eats strategy for breakfast, and he has had the opportunity to work with over 100 charities to adapt, change, and scale up. In that role, he's now currently strategy director at Audience, which he leads on strategy, innovation, and product development. He's a trustee and a leadership mentor, whatever that means in his own words. Wayne was an awesome guest to round off this season. It's been a super strange season for us, having to suddenly move from recording in my flat to seeing Andy in person to where we are now recording remotely over Zoom or Zencaster, whatever else we think might work. So thank you for sticking with us. We hope the podcast has been useful as you've been working through this pandemic. We've always tried to find guests that have really wisdomous sage advice that we think is really useful for the sector we've got big plans for season three but from now on we're going to be promoting all of our awesome episodes and awesome guests uh if you've enjoyed it please let us know at fixing fund pod and get in touch with us and see what you'd like to see from season three happy listening enjoy hello and welcome to the season finale Season two of Fixing Fundraising. Today, season finale. Today, we're joined by Tom Dufresne, and who is quickly becoming our regular season finale star, Wayne Murray. Hey, hello, Wayne. Over to you. Thank you very much. Um, see, I didn't realise it was season finale. No pressure there at all. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Um, we thought we'd spring think... that pressure on you at the last. Yeah, I bet you say that to all the guests, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, normally I'm wheeled out of my coffin to talk about some sort of badass strategy idea or to bang on about how the sector has to transform radically, yada yada, structural change, cross-sector, all that jazz. But today I thought I'd talk about a sort of weird personal odyssey that I've been on during lockdown, which basically has seen me talk to a over 130 people now and uh, they're all people that I don't really know and kind of what that has done to me as a human and kind of what that could potentially mean for the sector going forward what do you reckon yeah that sounds that sounds great though the what it's done to me as a human is a an ominous note for a starting point (laughs) okay all right so to start I kind of need to set the scene a bit really um and all this started sort of way back before before Christmas and 
I wrote a blog for audience, which was about kind of what do 100 people think are the biggest issues that need to change in the sector. Um, and to do that, I kind of had to reach out and speak to people. Um, back in those days, I don't know if you remember, it was mainly by sort of face-to-face -face meetings and, and meetings on the phone. Do you remember that? Um, the glory days. Face-to-face um, -face meetings. <laughs> yeah, I know. It seems weird now, doesn't it? Yeah. I've got no recollection of that, Wayne. Sorry. Yeah, no, it was at least a couple of weeks ago. So... <laughs> But um, but what happened is that like first of all got got really brilliant insight uh, and it, I was really proud of of what we did and for those that haven't read it the three biggest things that came out of it in terms of what the needed to change in the sector and remember this is before the pandemic um, was relevancy short termism and lack of collaboration um, and this led on to like a a, a thought that I had about sector leaders and how how things could potentially change going forward and how I had this idea that a, a brilliant kind of job description for a sector leader in the future would be 50% um, of your time is spent um, changing and transforming your organisation, but 50% of your time is spent working cross sector change civil society completely and i sort of thought you know what a brilliant sort of job description and a way for sector leaders to kind of collectively work together going forward um but most importantly what happens that i really enjoyed the process like it, it made me sharper it made me think clearer um it made my insight based on actual insight not just gut instincts but it was, a, it was a bit of a weird thing because uh, the funny thing about me is that I've spent half my career charity side and half agency side. So when I do things like this now, I, d I sort of realise that people think that I've got an ulterior motive. You know, I'm from an agency. People expect me to be selling to them if I call up or if I want to have a chat with them. Um, and I'm really shit at sales. New business is, is really not my bag. Um, and also, like, our agency is based um, just outside of Brighton and all uh, clients and, and most of the charity sector that we work with is, is in London. So when you think about having a chat or going for a meeting, all of a sudden it's like, is this worth five hours out of the office? Is this worth a 60 quid train ticket? You know, and all that sort of stuff. So lots of different things come into play pre-lockdown when, it, when it's about communicating and actually meeting people. And then... Basically, the lockdown happens and a lot of things kind of happened at once for me as, as it did for, for everyone else. You know, there was the whole issue of grappling with remote working, new tech, um, all of a sudden everyone's available. You know, there's always a meeting room on Zoom, you know, and at, at the same time, home was kind of in free fall as it, as it is for uh, and was for a lot of people. It was really hard for me to sort of focus um, adjusting to a new routine or, or a sort of lack of routine in, in actuality. And focusing on strategy, I, I found that I couldn't actually do that during the day. Um, you know, when you're thinking of like big ideas and big picture stuff, it was just that my home environment was really not conducive to that at all. So I was doing all of my sort of daytime work during the evening. And during the day, like the pockets of time that I had to actually sit in front of a computer and actually do some work, was just doing admin and, and kind of staring at a screen with my, my mouth wide open. And that's really weird compared to how I was working in the office before. Like anyone who's ever worked with me will know that admin is really not my bag at all. But it was only those little sort of mundane 30 minute tasks that I could actually do. Um, and I sort of remembered how much I enjoyed 
um, reaching out and contacting people and talking to them about this blog and getting people's people's input. So what I did is I just made a commitment to myself, myself to speak to one new person every week, someone that I didn't know, um, you know, uh, who I, I may not have even heard of, but just put myself out there to have a 30 minute chat because during the day, I couldn't focus on the big strategic projects, but I could focus on a 30 minute kind of ramble chat with, with people. Um, and what was key about it was that there was absolutely no sort of hidden agenda. Um, all I wanted to do was to kind of get behind the LinkedIn profiles of people and to talk, you know, and to talk about anything. And I think what I was experiencing and still am and what a lot of people are experiencing during lockdown is that need to connect to humanity and not a sort of professional network as such. Um, and I didn't proactively chase anyone either um, at all. You know, I just put a, a, a shout out and, and kind of see who, who took it and would talk to absolutely everyone. And also it wasn't altruism on my part at all. You know, I'm not fucking Bono. Um, this was for me. Um, if other people enjoyed it, then that was absolutely brilliant. But what was at the heart of it was that I wanted to get out of my my bubble. Um, I don't know about you guys in, in your roles, but working in strategy, strategy people are really weird. You know, it's paradigm this and intersection that, and you know, it can it can get kind of quite quite unwieldy at times. Um, so I spoke to a lot of people, like entry level people, um, fundraisers, CEOs, people who the sector deem as gurus people outside of fundraising and comms. And it was it was really good for my well-being, but it was also really good for my work. Um, and it gave me purpose during the day, it kept me really busy. So what I did is I just started to do more of them. And what happened is weirdly, this whole idea started to get some real traction on, on social and people were saying nice things after the, the calls that they had. So moving on from that, kind of, you know, what did, what did I learn? Um, and I think the key thing is what I what I learned, which I knew all along, is that people people are really amazing, and people are really surprising, and people are really genuine. And you know, some interesting things like you know, in our culture, when you say to someone, "How are you today?" the standard response is "Fine, how are you?" But during the pandemic and reaching out to people and having these conversations with no agenda, you got real responses to kind of "How are you feeling today?" and it was really genuine and 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 purposeful and another thing that I learned was that people and what's amazing about our sector is that people care about their charity and the sector kind of as much as they do about their individual roles when I was talking to people about how they were feeling there was a lot of outpouring about you know I hope the sector is going to be all right and I hope you know my charity is going to be all right and you know obviously people are concerned about their own issues but really caring about the sector and it got me thinking about this idea of kind of humans not hierarchy which I've been sort of building in my head a bit you know there was lots of discussions around the blurring of hierarchy just during lockdown that you know shit just needs to get done and SLT are off in a bubble somewhere because they're dealing with massive organizational stuff and also people kind of looking looking up um, and helping out with their chief execs who are, you know, might be feeling lonely or might be feeling scared as we're on this sort of uncharted path. And that was really interesting. And what I noticed was that humanity was popping up in all sorts of places, you know, like nature really 
abhors a vacuum. Like, you know, all the, the rise of volunteers for the NHS, people volunteering for food banks, but also support within our sector. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but Twitter started to get kind of really friendly again. And I think that's a kind of, that's an output from how, how we were all feeling during lockdown. Um, and I think an overriding thing that I had is that we talk a lot about harnessing the humanity of donors. You know, it's kind of what drives us. Lots of thought pieces written about it. But there's not enough focus on the humanity of the people who work in the sector and what a powerful tool that actually is for change as well. And I, I was left with this sort of overriding feeling that human connection is the most important thing that we have. Um, but it needs to be genuine connection, though, you know, not just sort of geographical location or, you know, hierarchical connection or an organizational connection. So just, you know, finally moving on from that, kind of what does it mean? And it, you know, I, I write a lot about strategy and transformation, but what it, and they're all, they're all really, really important. But what's at the heart of that is that people and culture are the most important things that we have in our sector. And from my, you know, ramble chats with over 130 people, I can genuinely sort of say that we have the people and we have the ability to create kind of any culture we like if we genuinely commit to it. Um, and from my personal perspective, the pandemic has changed my culture and my working methodology and my moods and my pro productivity, but also I've proactively changed it too. And that there's little steps that we can all take individually and kind of collectively to connect better and to change culture. Um, and that blurring of hierarchy and much more democratic ways of working really makes you think. And I suppose if there's a couple of key takeaways from that. One of them would be that what if everyone reached out a little bit more, sort of beyond their role, beyond their teams, beyond their organizations, not focusing on kind of hierarchy or agenda, like what could we achieve collectively there? And I think what I don't want this to be mixed up with is kind of horrendous networking. You know, I, I hate those kind of setups and it's, this is kind of the opposite of networking. It's genuinely getting to know people and just proactively pushing yourself out of your, your little bubble. And that little bubble is lots of talks about bubbles at the moment. But, you know, if it, we're all in these, these little bubbles, but I, what I found is if you don't do anything about it, the, these bubbles get smaller and smaller around you and we easily slip into silos. You know, like if you look at the classic one, within fundraising, you know, the classic silo between the fundraising department and the communications department, you know, a classic departmental silo. But then you also get hierarchical silos within our sector as well. Like, you know, you go to events where, you know, a fundraising di director will only speak to other fundraising directors and not people who, he, who are deemed below that. Um, and then also I've been thinking about how you get kind of organizational silos as well. Like I'm a trustee for, a hospice and it's a brilliant hospice it's in brighton big shout out but you know like take the hospice movement for example they, they find it very difficult to look beyond that movement and that silo that they've created for themselves um so there's all levels of, of of silos and bubbles that we have and that's before we even start talking about demographics or behavioral ones um and I, you know to sort of sum it all up i think what the sector needs now 
you know, is a, is a kind of is a is a kind of unity and a consensus because otherwise that sort of massive scale mobilization that we need is is not going to happen. And I, there's a I've read a lot of stuff about so this isn't you know my my thoughts this is me standing on the shoulders of of geniuses but you know that that there's there's a real move and there needs to be more of a real move from these hierarchical structures that we have to much more kind of decentralized ones. And I think that's what that's what the future looks like, and that's what movement building and, and mobilization looks like going forward. Uh, and for me, it all just started with me talking to or pushing myself to talk to one stranger. But it's something that I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do in, in, indefinitely. And the final point is that nor normally it's at this point of my sort of rants that I tie things up with a sort of super cool, profound strategy bow or whatever. But I'm just not this time. This is what I did. And this was something that genuinely helped and changed my perspective. And has it brought me any more work? Nope. Has it sharpened my sort of strategy skills? Yeah. Do I feel more connected? Yeah. And has it helped my well-being? You know, definitely 100 percent And kind of here endeth my sermon. Amazing. That was. <laughs> it was really good, Wayne. Thank you. I think it, you touched on a couple of points there that I find was r really true about hierarchy. That it's just almost um, it's dissolved away in in so many organisations, and I, and that's I've noticed that not just in our sector but across the board. Um, mm. That it, it's definitely a, a myth that the pandemic has been a great leveler. It's definitely affected people from different groups worse than others but maybe zoom is the great leveler like maybe maybe working from home is has been the thing that's really leveled people um down to a certain level like i've, I've heard stories of people of, of organizations where people are just sat on calls with their with their ceo like you've mentioned just so they don't feel lonely like just so they can support them while they're working from home so i do completely get that and i think there's so much merit in hierarchy just just doing one and i think hierarchy in, in general in special in general is is often uh gets in the way but in the charity sector massively complicates things and massively stops our ability to get things done so i can that completely resonated with me and i and i i really get that and i think so many people listening will will really get that too brilliant and i think it's really just, just on a, in, a, in a really pure way like look at the thing i like about zoom is that everyone fits into the same shape box do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like it's not that boardroom mentality where, oh, you don't sit there. That's where the CEO sits at the head of the table. Do you know what I mean? We're all in our little, our little squares. And I think that that issue, you know, it's it's precisely what happens at audience as well. You know, like with most um, agencies that I've been speaking to, um, you know, there was a dip in work as as the pandemic hit, and, and rightly so. You know, and me focusing on strategy, which is about looking forward. That was one of the first sort of aspects to immediately disappear. It got backfilled with lots of other sort of crazy work that we had to do that was all really brilliant and exciting and whatever. But the only way in which we could do it was that we just had to play to everyone's aces. And it wasn't about who had the best job title. It was about, okay, well, this member of staff has got a toddler, so can only work these hours and this hour. Um, Wayne works better at night. 
um, you know, this, this other person um, hasn't actually got a um, desk. They're working off their fucking bed. Do you know what I mean? So we need to manage that. So all of a sudden, all, all the aspects of individuality crept in in terms of how we manage workflow rather than just, well, you know, you're the account manager, go and manage your account, you know, or you're the, you're the creative person, come up with a creative idea. It was just about, okay, we're a community of people. These are the bits and bobs that we can do at these times. Let's get the work done. And that's a very different model of working for a, a lot of people and certainly was for us as well. But hopefully a residue of that will carry through. I think the other area that you mentioned is, is just like speaking to people that you don't already know. And I was actually uh, talking to to Hiran, who was uh, one of our other guests last night about how the thing he misses the most is that he would normally bump into colleagues of his that he didn't know when he was making coffee. And yeah. one of the real negatives of lockdown is whether it's colleagues in the kitchen at work or strangers in bars, whilst we're all doing a lot of work to connect with the people that we already know actually that for a lot of people their networks aren't expanding and it's not even yeah. networks like their, their genuine relationships the people they rely on aren't expanding and i think that um what you, what you said about bubbles getting smaller is, is definitely true and it's definitely resonated and i think that that anti-network of reaching out to just ramble as as you say will have significant benefits to everyone involved in it because it, yeah, it just brings you back to why you're here and, and what you're doing and what's going well and what's not. And that sharing of it must be super helpful for everyone, right? Yeah. And I think you mentioned in the sort of the kitchen areas in, 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 in terms of the physicality of buildings is, is really important because it's, it's completely democratic space. Do you know what I mean? Everyone wants a coffee. Like you can kind of chat to anyone like in the old days it used to be like the smokers there was a really like democracy of people who all smoked and you would build up these really weird networks of people from across your organization who you didn't necessarily work with that you would you would pull together by different kind of levers in a way and i think that's that's a good kind of description of kind of how these chats kind of manifested themselves you know it wasn't about hierarchy it wasn't about winning work it was just about reaching out anyone want to chat i i do and people on the whole like i got i got something out of absolutely every conversation i had and i hope everyone that i had a conversation with did the same and what's been really interesting is that a lot of people have gone do you know what i'm gonna, I'm gonna do this myself you know not at that scale you idiot but you know i'm gonna reach out and just talk to people and you know that's kind of what what social media and you know the the zoom technology and whatever we have now can enable us to do if we if we use it in a different way i think yeah i think i think i i've seen that from from people following up on your twitter is that the number of people that have decided to start doing it too it's a really nice like organic movement and shows that value of that human connection, as you were saying. One of the um, questions I wanted to ask you was, you spoke a lot about cultural shift and, and, and uh, strategic shift and how a lot of strategy is future focused and everyone's focused on tomorrow 
rather than on next week, let alone in five years' time. Mm-hmm. How do you think people can, when when they're looking at strategy, embed that culture and embed that hierarchy? Are there any tips of of how they can take that forwards, if that makes any sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. And, you know, that, that's been, it's really weird. I, I've sort of been talking about how we're in phase two of the pandemic now and, and phase one was just a maelstrom and it was chaos. And, you know, that if, if you managed to do any activity, it was about getting emergency comms out and crisis appeals and all that sort of stuff. It was all well and good. And interestingly, the vast majority of that stuff has done really well, which you know shows that you know people care and 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 the work was work was good. And we're entering this sort of phase two now, where a lot of people, whilst whilst the dust hasn't settled, I think a lot of organisations are sticking their head above the parapet a bit and going, okay, right, okay, we're sort of we're managing to keep the boat afloat, but what does the next sort of six to nine months look like? Um, and that's been the sort of the basis for a lot of my work at the moment and you know, I've really changed my approach to strategy you know like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now is kind of really agile strategy it's kind of it can be written on the back of a business card that's that's kind of my approach now if, if your strategic aims can't be boiled down into you know four or five bullet points that everyone can digest and agree on then it then it isn't working and a, a lot of it is very much about what what have we learned last week what are we actually going to get out today what do we aim to do this week and then just you know you know building week on week um your insight and your intelligence in terms of how we make our way out of there so it's it's, it's interesting that there's you know strategy hasn't never hasn't historically been agile you know it's been about agile tactics and agile delivery embedded within your strategy but I think turning that on its head and thinking about a really top line agile strategy that is more reflective of a sort of tactical plan but has a bit more purpose and direction to it is is the way forward and it'll be interesting to see after this whether that's what the role strategy plays whether it's much more top line and agile and you know adaptable than it currently is at at present you know the idea of putting together a three-year strategy now which made up 75 percent of my workload less than six months ago just seems ridiculous to me at the moment you know I I wouldn't have a thought in my head as to what a three-year strategy would look like yeah that makes a lot of sense I I think um from, from our side I remember back in early may jonathan my manager was like oh let's let's think about what the next three months look like and i was like no no two weeks that's that's about as far as my brain can project i thought that's what you get and now we're at the stage where we can think about the next month or the next two months but it's still not three years and i think we're going to be in that space for a long time but if people can make sure that their hierarchies stay relatively dissolved or flexible and make sure that as you say their overarching aims fit on the back of a business card it seems like that way actually the strategy is going to serve people much more than it may have otherwise done is that fair to say yeah and i think a a really good like easy sentence for people to to digest and to and to and to think about their approach to the future 
um, of, is, but before I get to that, it's if if you talk about the future, especially during the pandemic, you're bogged down immediately by the present and the past. You know what I mean? And your your mind goes into overdrive about oh, historically we've always done this and this and that, and there's this, and there's all these inherent problems, and there's all these silos within the organisation. How can we possibly do anything different? And a pandemic comes, and oh my god, I, I don't know what to do at all. But if you want to use like laser like strategic focus, get a, a get a room of together of all, all the people in the organization that needs to drive that change and just say to them if you were setting up today as a startup what would you be doing what would you need and where would you be in a couple of years time and you immediately get rid of all that historic nonsense and all the bullshit and all the silos and whatever and instantly people get into a headspace where they just say okay right we're setting up today what does it look like and i think that's a really interesting strategic tool that people can take away and use just to think about where they are now and where they're going to be in a year's time. It's question time. Is that your little jingle? That's good. It changes every time subject to copyright law. When <laughs> you, may yeah, have that that bit. you may have thought that sounded like Wii music, but actually it wasn't. <laughs> that's not how copyright law works yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning stuff today <laughs> anyway stop. oh you've really thrown me completely thrown me come on Tom get it together <laughs> find your neutral face oh god um, in with anger out with love come on come on yeah here we go here we go uh, Wayne is there a, a resource that you would recommend that people can go and read to, to think about, I guess, strategy on the on the other end of COVID. Maybe it's a blog, a website, maybe it's something you've written yourself. Um, what would you recommend that people go out and read? If they, if they listen to this and they want to take the next step, what is that next step? Oh, I, obviously I'm, I'm blogging like a good and myself. So, you know, I, I seem to have a bit of a niche for talking about, strategy and in, in terms of blogging so people are always you know able to access my stuff um if if they want to which is um anyone who follows me on twitter you can you can see my my blogs are, are front and center there but to be honest with you i don't actually follow much strategy blog work and especially during the pandemic i've been moving away from a lot of that and focusing more on resources that are kind of bringing people together and i think you know, it, it would we we couldn't have this podcast at this time without talking about resources and movements such as charity. So why, you know, I think that's if I, if I was going to use this platform to point anyone towards anything at this time, it would be that. I think it's you know the most relevant thing um, of of our time and something that we we should all be championing and and being allies towards. Um, and then looking at that from Looking at that idea of bringing people to, together and, and, and sort of collective humanity, there's lots of sort of entry points into that. And I know I don't want this to be a sort of backslapping exercise because I know she gave me a shout out when she was on your podcast. But I really, really want to say a massive shout out to Claire Warner and everything that she's doing. I think she's incredible and I think it's such a timely thing with her focus on well-being 
And if ever there was a time, you know, collectively knowing what's going on at the moment in terms of pandemic and how moods are changing and how people are feeling. And as I was saying, that issue of people's bubbles potentially getting smaller rather than bigger, I would point everyone in the direction of Claire Warner um, or Mrs. Wellbeing, as I've titled her, as she called me Mr. Strand. So, Wayne, is there anyone in particular that you see smashing it out of the park in this particular area, whether that's devolved hierarchy or or really reaching out of their bubble? Is there anyone that you really want to shout out? I, first of all, I want to shout out you guys. I don't know if anyone has done that on the yeah. That's nice. Yeah, come on, season finale. We can we can wear woolly jumpers and be nice to each other. It's fine. But <laughs> I think I, th- I, I think you're, I've always been a big fan of your podcast. But I think podcasts in general, the the really good ones, are massively helpful at the moment. You know, like the way in which I ingest media has changed dramatically during pandemic. You know, like I listen to podcasts. When I venture out the house to go to Tesco Metro, which seems like a, a scene from 28 Days Later, do you know what I mean? And it's a protective barrier that I have and that I find really helpful. And I think you guys in particular um, are doing really well. So on behalf of you know everyone who listens, well done, chats, keep it up. Um, also, you know, um, I, know, I really want to give a, a shout out to, to Martha, who was on your podcast recently as well. Um, I, as, I, as I was saying in, in the intermission in between takes, I genuinely think it's one of the most important and brilliant podcasts that I've heard. So anything that we can do to to push that out and to, and to give it more traction and to be as helpful as we possibly can with the messages within that, I think is really important. Um, and the other people that I want to give a shout out to for smashing it out in the park um, is Nikki and Simon at Fundraising Everywhere. Um, I think what they're doing is absolutely seismic for, for for the sector and will fundamentally change the sector going forward. You know, I think it's incredibly democratic um, the way in which they're doing. It's completely anti-guru. Um, you know, they're, they're, the, the way that they are giving platforms to people and enabling people and producing people and not necessarily taking centre stage with a lot of stuff that they're doing, um, I think is just, I, th- I think it will change the fabric of fundraising going forward, where, whereas before there may, there may be a selection of, of gurus who are wheeled out to talk about different things at, at different times. What's happening now is that there's a whole collective of people who are being given a platform, most of whom I have never heard of. And that's absolutely brilliant and as it should be. So, yeah, big shout out to, to Nikki and Simon. Keep on keep on doing what you're doing. I think really excitingly, there's a, uh, a collaboration between Martha, Simon and Nikki coming up as well. Um, Holy shit. Uh, where they're... Uh, doing a, a, a fundraising everywhere conference specifically uh, around uh, black and minority ethnic fundraisers. Um, so if you're looking for, for where to find those people that Wayne has recommended, we'll, we'll put the link in the episode description. It's going to be so worth checking out. So yeah. worth checking out. Wayne, what is your ear not? If you wish no one had ever thought of something in fundraising, 
Or would it be? And it why? Would not, oh, it would not. I see what you did there. I see huh? what, yeah. I see where the genesis of this has come from. Awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, blimey. Where do I start? Okay, I'm, I'm just going to pick one. And I'm going to pick, controversially, the Donor Pyramid. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Go on. I, fuck, I fucking hate it. I think... <laughs> Sorry, is that right? Um, <laughs> You've done it now. I've done it. It's out of the box. It's out of the box. Like the thing about it, right? Goes into full-on rant mode. Point. I'm pointing at the screen now. Um, not only is it like really outdated and overly simplistic, it's just plain wrong. You know, cramming people into these weird boxes isn't helpful to anyone. And whenever I see it, it's a kind of visual representation everything that is wrong with that old model of working and i think it should be ditched but if we need to, if we need some sort of simple metaphor or, or visual thing for how things are kind of interlinked um and we need to hang on to something like that it should be something like the donor wheel or the donor circle or uh, something else around the donor pizza have you called it the donor pizza have you seen the donor river by jeff brooks yes i have yeah 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 i like yes yeah, it's it's better, yeah. But the the this, this whole mind this whole mindset that you get you get someone on board with a cash gift, then you get them onto a regular gift, and then they become a major donor, and then you know legacy. That I think I think that's uh, now. It may, it, it, I'm not sure it ever works. I think it was a really overly simplistic way of describing things anyway. But it's really really not helpful. You know that entry level point of being about. A cash donation is just wrong. People have a lot of ways in which they can interact and connect and engage with the charity. And that's, you know, it should be more like a bloody spider web than it should be a pyramid. And that's and that's the end of my rant. So if you were going to be followed around everywhere you went with a sign above your head, it can be double-sided. What would that sign say? Well, in the... 30 seconds I've had to think about this because my prep has been very extensive for this podcast. Um, had a few thoughts. One is something that I've been using quite a lot at the moment, which is punch up, not down. I think that's a good way to live your life. And it's something that I've used in a few workshops recently. And, and if you want to be devil's advocate, it's a really, really good phrase to chuck out at trustees and, and board level people. You say, you know, you need to punch up, not down. And that the people turn around and go, well, you know, we're top of the tree. We can't punch up any higher. And you go, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> That's quite an interesting one to have. But I was talking to my son about that. And he, his counter to punch up, not down was you shouldn't really be punching at all, which is a really good point. So I think we'll, nice. we'll pipe that one. Um, and I think, you know, my, my fallback whenever I feel whenever I feel low, but also whenever I feel um, up as well, is that humans are amazing. Um, so that would be a really, really good sign for me. Humans are amazing. It's a good reminder of the possibility within all of us. And then from that, a proposition that after I left Refugee Action and we were, um, audience was employed to, to help with them work out a, a sort of overarching proposition that would pull together sort of not just fundraising and communications, but fundraising, communications, campaigning and service delivery, which is a really tough brief to come up with a proposition that kind of services all of those aspects. 
but we nailed it in in three words and i think it's it's probably the finest proposition that i've ever come up with and that is humanity can win and i just love that i just love that that i could i could i could have that on my uh tombstone as well as the sign above my head god that's good it's all right isn't it yeah, right. That's right. Not bad for a couple of grand. Come on. No. Yeah, <laughs> and you put that on your tombstone and your sign if you if you if you'd come up with it. Exactly. Yeah. Bloody brilliant, man. Wayne Murray, what's your favourite joke? This is this is tough because most of my jokes are pure filth, and I quite like a job. <laughs> Quite like a job after this podcast. So um, mm. I've, I've got I've got one though. It's um, it's an Alan Davies joke. I don't really like Alan Davies apart from Jonathan Creek, but this this joke really really got to me. Even even though it's not funny, but it's it's my sort of level of humour. What a what a builder. What a build. Yeah, no. Um, so there's there's two beekeepers um, chatting as as beekeepers do, showing off about bees. Um, one beekeeper says to the other, so how many bees have you got then? And he said, I've got 100,000 bees. It's like 100,000 bees, that's a lot of bees. But how many hives have you got to put those bees in? He said, well, I've got 100,000 bees and I've got 10 hives. It's like, okay, that's cool. So the other beekeeper says, well, what about you then? How many bees have you got? He says, I've got a million bees. It's a million bees, it's incredible. How many hives have you got? He says, oh, I've only got one hive. He said, you've got a million bees and only one hive. And he goes, yeah, fuck them. They're only bees. <laughs> I, just, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> it's not right, is it? <laughs> yeah, I was expecting a, um, a maths puzzle, like a Dimitri Martin-style joke. You know, it's going to be like, how many bees? Yeah, no, it was just straight, <laughs> fuck the bees. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you can give that to a friend of the earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking, guys. Keep up the good work. God damn, that was good. Wayne, thank you so much for for coming on. If oh, my pleasure, dude. If our guests want to, our guests, you're our guests. If our listeners, there we go. If our listeners want to find more of you, uh, where mm-hmm. where should they look? So where your guests? So I'm your guests. So where can I find myself? That's a Indeed. that's a very very deep question. But if other people want to find me, um, best place probably is Twitter. Uh, I'm at Wayne the Murray, uh, and also in terms of my my work email, if people need it, it's um, Wayne at audiencefc.com. Nice. Thanks so much uh, for everything. And we'll we'll speak again soon, we hope. Thanks, guys.